Go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows, and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Visit msnbc.com slash app to download. Welcome to How to Win 2024. It's Thursday, February 15th. I'm Jennifer Palmieri, and I'm here with my co-host, Claire McCaskill. Hi, Claire. Hi, Jen. So this was going to be fun today. Yeah, I know. It's yeah. going to be so fun. It's going to be so fun to go back over the Super Bowl and like how many people watched it and how great it was. And then I was getting ready to do Deadline White House yesterday and saw shooting in Kansas City. And I was like, maybe it's a small thing. Maybe like somebody's going off by accident. How's everybody doing? How's it going? How does it feel there? And, you know, everybody is, um, it's, it's a really ugly mix of sadness and anger. There are very few times in a community that a million or so people come together and have no argument. They are joyous and celebrating excellence and perseverance and overcoming obstacles. And, you know, Kansas City went many, 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 many decades um, not having much of a football team. And we are now obviously in a dynasty and it's just such fun and everyone enjoys it so much, particularly in the Kansas City region. But even, I mean, there were people there from all over the country that had flown in to be part of it. Kansas City Chiefs Kingdom has gotten much larger in the last five years. So it's tremendously sad. I think Kansas City will overcome it. I think the Chiefs organization is going to be part of that. It's very clear to me, the players, I'm sure they'll be lining up to go visit the kids at Children's Mercy that were shot. Sure. I'm sure there will be all kinds of efforts to help the family of the woman who died, who was very well known and popular in Kansas City and has two young children. So I I do think the community will come together around this. And I think Chiefs Kingdom will survive. And I look forward to the time that what I'm thinking about most is how we win three in a row. Right. I mean, I'm like, I might even be rooting for it because, I mean, you're right. Like, just this, I know it's tragic, but that team does do such so much for that city. And the perseverance, like you said, you know, like you have to admire that. It's not just like, oh, they're great. I'm going to get their bandwagon. But the perseverance that they show, it's really impressive. Ugh, it's terrible. But... Back to the business at hand, because we are in full campaign mode. And now that we are, we're going to, Claire and I are going to try something new. It's very exciting. We're going to frame the issues of the week as if we were in the room, meaning as if we were in the war room within the Biden campaign or, or you know, for it's not the Biden campaign, whatever campaign we're talking about. But to give you a sense, because we really want to get into the nitty gritty here, like, OK, this thing happened. You know, you're hearing a lot of news about it, but it's like, what does that mean for the campaign? How does the campaign in the short term and the long term deal with it? What are the implications? How do they make this either work for them or launch a really effective defense that maybe sometimes you can turn into offense? So we're going to use that lens today. We also thought it'd be a, a really good time to bring back our colleague and friend, former federal prosecutor and an MSNBC colleague extraordinaire, Andrew Weissman. He's going to give us some context to the politics of the her report and what it meant and why it was so bugged up and what the special counsel got wrong, which was more than they got right. And speaking of, we're going to shine a spotlight on all of the tumult this last week has raised about Biden's age and what to tell your friends, your family, colleagues, everyone in your life who 
is saying, oh, my God, what are they going to do? And is it too late to replace Biden? And should we want to replace Biden? But first, come strategy 101 or how to win an election when there is incoming. (laughs) How you deal with the, the stresses of bad things happening on the campaign trail. If we were them, if we were in the room, that's what we're going to talk about with some of the issues that surfaced this week. Uh, Let's talk first about the aid package for Israel. First of all, this was a huge bipartisan vote. Seventy senators voted for this package. Amazing. This was not one party or the other. This is what's good for America by the vast majority of the elected U.S. senators in the United States of America. Now, if I were them, I would be pounding every day what is wrong with the Republican Party that the Speaker of the House cannot and will not take this bill up. What is wrong? Right. What has happened here that this has become so broken? I mean, this is do nothing. This is incompetence. This is turning their back on our best friends in the world that are under very big stresses right now. This is really an opportunity to highlight how bad the Republican Party has become at governing. And if I were in the room, I would be saying, hey, we need to be putting this on blast for as long as it takes for Mike Johnson to get that bill on the floor. So this is smart because what you're doing is you're not arguing on the substance necessarily of like, but we really need the Ukraine funding and we really need the Israel funding and getting into those sort of micro fights. I mean, they're big, important, substantive fights, but in terms of how they impact the campaign, you want to bring it to a higher level, you know, a higher level message that really resonates with people. And the Republicans are incompetent and can't get anything done. And by the way, when they do do something, it's because Donald Trump told them to do it or Donald Trump told them not to do it. Ukraine funding is incredibly important. Funding for Israel is incredibly important. But in terms of the politics, you got to bring it to this higher level. So I think that is that is really smart. And that's kind of what Tom Swazi, the guy that won the special election, in New York this week, that's kind of what his argument was, even with immigration. It was, they're not doing anything. I have solutions, but these guys just do what Trump wants or they don't do anything at all. So let's talk about that race up in New York. Yeah, it's like, it's classic because leading up to the election, so this is George Santos' seat, I'm sure you've heard about it. New York three, Tom Suozzi, Democrat, ended up winning by eight points after uh, George Santos won the seat by eight points after the Republican gubernatorial candidate in 2022, who ultimately lost, he won that seat by 12 points. So it's a big victory. Beforehand, I noticed like Hakeem Jeffries and other Democrats are like, well, I don't know that it's a bellwether. Special elections aren't a bellwether. And now that we won, it's like, it's a bellwether. So is it is it a bellwether for the general election? Probably. But even if it wasn't, I think what the campaign should do fire in the room with the campaign we should do is you take the lessons that you want Democrats to learn and make those the lessons. So what I want people to take away from this is when you go on offense, you win. Find the Biden team. I want people to believe that the message that Republicans are doing nothing except what Donald Trump tells them to do. I want people to think that is breaking through and I want it to break through. So I think that was a factor in this Lonzi race, but like pick that up and drive it now. Because if you drive it, If you say that it is the thing that's breaking through, it will break through. And so I think that the lessons I would take away are like go on offense on immigration, which is something I've been encouraging the Biden team to do more of because they're they're in the position now since Trump and everybody walked away from the bipartisan border security bill they're willing to do. And they've actually done a lot in the border that people don't know about. But then take it to offense about how the Congress isn't doing anything except what Trump wants. 
Also, there was the Pennsylvania race, Bucks County, Swing County. There's a special election for Pennsylvania a state legislative seat. Democrats held on to that. I believe the margin was 30 points. So we're super worried about this race and if Trump can win and it's very possible he could. But then we had these like moments where you're like, oh, right. Yeah. So on the Swazi race, one thing I would say, yeah. having talked to people that were in the war room, if I were there right now, I would say, look at what this guy did. He campaigned on immigration reform. He campaigned on securing the border. He campaigned on how we stop fentanyl. And at the same time he did it, he pointed out that the Republicans aren't interested in anything other than political talking points. They don't want to solve a problem. I want to solve problems. They don't want to solve problems. They just want to give Donald Trump something to campaign on. And by the way, the last time Donald Trump was there with the Republican House and Republican Senate, he didn't do squat on immigration. Right. He had a chance. Not he didn't do it. squat. He didn't build a wall. He didn't shut down the asylum system. He didn't change the way that we handle people that right. turn themselves in when they walk across the border. He didn't do any of that. All he did was separate children from their families. And by the way, that turned out to be not a very effective strategy. So I, I just think your point is exactly right. If I were in the room, I would be saying, this is what happens when you go on offense on something that you think is a vulnerability. This is it. Okay, so these GOP officials that are busy defending and deflecting Trump saying that he would tell Russia to go after our European allies if they didn't contribute enough money to NATO. Now, here's what I would do if I were in the room. I'd say ignore them. Oh. Um, I would say don't get off on a tangent on this because what I believe is that you just dismiss it. Well, of course they're going to say that because Donald Trump controls all of them. They've all lost their spines. They've all lost their principles. They don't believe in anything in principle. All they believe in is power, and they believe Donald Trump is going to give them power so they will do whatever he says. They will defend him no matter how badly he behaves, and therefore, they're not worth our time or our effort because I don't think these guys defending Trump is going to move one independent voter. I don't think one swing voter is going to go, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, Lindsey Graham is really a weasel and Tom Cotton is really a hypocrite. I'm voting for Biden. Totally. You're right. You're so so right. I think this is one where I would say, let's stick to our knitting. Let's stay on the things that matter. It's much more important that the Republicans are not getting anything done and are blocking meaningful reform every chance they get. Right. And would you talk about Russia at all? I mean, because what Biden did was he went to the, I don't know, I guess the state dining room and he did remarks about Trump's comments and said that they were un-American, right? So I think the Biden campaign seems to trying to be laddering up to a bigger argument about Trump undermining democracy, right? That's what they're trying to do. Yeah, but I think the foreign aid bill is a better mechanism to do that with than these weenies, you know, defending Trump. Don't you, Jen? I mean, it feels like to me that their failure to support Ukraine at this critical juncture is really what Putin wants, is really playing into Putin's hand. Right. And clearly, I think it's fine for them to talk about Donald Trump being best friends with Putin. I, I You know, it wouldn't surprise me if they French kiss. I, I have no problem talking about that. But I do think using the foreign aid bill and the failure of the Republicans to get that across the finish line in a way that makes sense for what's going on in the Ukraine right now is what I would focus on. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. See, like, look, we have, we have solved all of their messaging problems. They should listen to us. There we go. There we go. There we go. Okay. We got to take a quick break. But when we come back, our friend and former federal prosecutor and co-host of the podcast Prosecuting Donald Trump 
Andrew Weissman is here to tell us what everyone is getting wrong about the report on Biden's possession of classified documents from special counsel Robert, a.k.a. Ben Hur, H-U-R. Back in a moment. Stay up to date on the biggest issues of the day with the MSNBC Daily Newsletter. Each morning, you'll get analysis by experts you trust, video highlights from your favorite shows. 2024 is now truly the most important election in the history of our country. Previews of our podcasts and documentaries, plus written perspectives from the newsmakers themselves, all sent directly to your inbox each morning. Get the best of MSNBC all in one place. Sign up for MSNBC Daily at MSNBC.com. Today's news requires more facts, more context, and more analysis. The world's never been harder to understand. That's why it's never been more important to try. MSNBC. Understand more. Welcome back. It's been a tough week for President Biden after the special counsel, her, released his report on the mishandling of the classified documents that her was looking into. The top line finding uh, is simple. There is absolutely no basis for criminal charges, but the story is much more complicated than that because of what her did in the report and how he did it. Clearly, he was trying to cause political damage. We always knew that the president's age was going to be an issue, and it's been an issue in the background. And this is the day where that issue like really came to the fore. We knew that the Biden campaign was going to have to deal with his age, but now it is front and center. And there are these days in the campaign that are defining that you will always remember as the time when you went through the big crucible. This is the big crucible for the Biden campaign. You know, on that day, they had him give a speech in his remarks to the House Democratic Caucus Conference. But then later that night, they put him out in a move that everybody's questioning to do a presser, which I thought was good until he had the big screw up at the end where he called the president of each other president of Mexico. So this is a defining moment of the campaign. It's their first big crucible to go through. So we do want to spend some time on it. And we got we got Andrew Weissman. We and, you know, I we want to talk about the her report. But, you know, this stuff is like drinking out of a fire hose when it comes to Trump in court. I mean, frankly, Andrew, you and Mary need to do like three podcasts a week on prosecuting Trump because this is just too much. I mean, we just have breaking this morning that there's going to be a trial on the hush money case March 25th. We have breaking out of Georgia, where it appears at this point that the elected prosecutor used a tremendously poor judgment in not only selecting someone she was personally involved with to help with the case, but also to maybe not tell the truth about it. And then we have the Supreme Court and immunity and what's going on there. I mean, it is a lot. So why don't we start with the Her Report and give us your down and dirty on the Her Report? And sure. as we talked about briefly, you can cuss on this podcast. So Woo-hoo. if you feel the need to use an expletive in connection with some of the extraneous information that was put in the Her Report, blast away. Oh, my God, that's so that is like red in front of a bull. So I think I mentioned to Jan that on our podcast, every time you hear me say God's green earth, you can kind of assume that that's my polite way of cursing because we don't curse on my podcast. So I have a couple of thoughts on the her report. I don't do political coverage, so I do it from a legal perspective. And I do think that my experience working for Bob Mueller Bob Mueller, in in many, many ways, both at the FBI, but also a special counsel, helps inform how I view the her report. 
So I think the first place to start is just misreporting. Mm-hmm. It is driving me frigging crazy that major networks, people I really respect, are getting the story wrong and reporting mm-hmm. that the report found that Joe Biden committed a felony. But as a matter of discretion, the special counsel said that he's not going to recommend going forward. That is not what the report says. The report over and over again says there's not proof beyond a reasonable doubt that there are innocent explanations for Joseph Biden's conduct that they cannot refute. And Claire, you know, as a former prosecutor, what does that mean when there are innocent explanations you cannot refute? You don't have a case. Yeah, you don't have a case. I mean, innocent explanation kind of refutes, sort of sounds like innocent. Yeah. And the other is, not only is it innocent explanations he cannot refute, he actually says that he has affirmative proof to support the innocent explanations. So that's sort of step one, which is it must be infuriating to the Biden camp to see reputable, reputable journalists who are just getting it wrong. I don't think that Rob Herr helped a lot. I read a piece with Ryan Goodman on Just Security that posited what an introductory paragraph could have looked like if you were trying to not be misleading and to tell the story accurately. And the second part that's gotten a lot of attention that you've been talking about in terms of its political ramifications is this idea that using what I call adjectives and adverbs. And Jen, this is where you and I have talked a lot about the Comey problem, and it is impossible to view this as not Comey 2.0. And this is where you could cobble together a fanciful argument to try to justify what her did in terms of talking about, for instance, I'm not recommending a trial. So there's not going to be a trial because I don't think there's proof here. But if there were a trial and if Joe Biden were to testify, I'm going to posit what he might say. And that's my justification for now telling you that he's going to claim that he has a poor memory, which, by the way, but see, within 24 hours, he is in the White House saying, I have a good memory. So like all of that prediction of what would happen was wrong. But right. but the problem is that just violates DOJ policy and the special counsel is bound by DOJ policy. Wow. When I worked for Mueller as special counsel, we are part of DOJ. It is actually a fireable offense for us to violate DOJ policy. I used to joke, I've never followed DOJ policy more than when I was working for the special counsel. Right. Not, not when you were general counsel for the FBI. But what is the policy? Specifically, what is the policy he's violating when he did that? And didn't Comey do the same thing? Explain the difference. Sure. Comey did do the same thing. So the policy is very much put up or shut up, meaning right. you either indict somebody. Yeah, there is yeah, a prosecutable ex- offense here or there is not. Or you say exactly, nothing. Exactly. Now, the, the reason there's a confusion is people say, well, he's a special counsel, so he had to write a report. When you know that report is going to be public, you are still bound by the idea that both he is and Merrick Garland are not supposed to say stuff that denigrates somebody who is not being charged. Just to be clear, you're not supposed to denigrate somebody who is being charged. Mm, People have gotten in trouble. No adjectives uh, and adverbs there either. Exactly. And the idea is, you know what? At the end of the case, if there's a conviction, then you can talk about your opinions. But do you know what is irrelevant when you are a prosecutor? Your personal opinion. 
So the idea is that, and this is where I do think there's a sort of political overlay, which is I don't care what Jim Comey thinks of Hillary Clinton and her emails, and I don't care what Rob Herr thinks about President Biden and his memory. And I think if that's an issue, Joe Biden has to just deal with it regardless of what one person is thinking. That is not why Rob Herr was in that position. His personal views of this are sort of irrelevant. It either is a political issue that needs to be dealt with or it isn't. But it's not because and it shouldn't be because some prosecutor overstepped his or her bounds on what they're supposed to opine about. Okay, so baseline, Comey was the original sin. Where were you during Comey? You were FBI? Uh, No, I was the head of the fraud section at the Department of Justice. I was on the phone with my boss at the time. July 5th, 2016. And our collective jaws were dropping. At the press conference. Because what the FBI is supposed to do, just so people understand how crazy this was, they do an investigation. If they think a crime was committed, they forward a report privately to the Department of Justice saying, we think a crime was committed here and you should prosecute. And that is never in the public. And that is it. And then what this guy did was held a press conference to say, I did this investigation, which normally is private, made it public, and then went on to criticize her. Also, not even knowing whether or not the attorney general was going to accept his recommendation. But that is like, you are not supposed to opine. You're just supposed to say whether you think there's a crime that should be prosecuted here or not. Yep, exactly. And the sort of the additional piece with respect to James Comey is, as Loretta Lynch, the attorney general at the time, said, that is a really interesting way to get a recommendation. I mean, just imagine if the recommendation was you shouldn't go forward and the prosecutors thought you should. Like, that's supposed to play right. out in the public or vice versa. Jim Comey versa. was not a prosecutor. He was an investigator. Exactly. And that decision is made by the lawyers at Maine Justice, not by the FBI. That's one which we were very aware because I also served as the FBI general counsel. You know, again, you knew what your role was and you stayed in your lane. There were many times I got the opportunity to cross-examine witnesses in the Senate in hearings and various committees I served on. There is one time I got to cross-examine someone in a private briefing that I wish would have been public. And I got the chance to cross-examine Comey about that press conference. And Al Franken had warmed him up before I stood up. And I began going through what the protocols are for ethical investigators under these circumstances. I went through DOJ policy. I went through how out of bounds it was for him to give us his irrelevant opinion about how Hillary Clinton conducted himself. And I said, I'm going to give you one chance, one sentence to somehow justify what you've done that absolutely impacted the election. And you know what he said? But, 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 nothing. I mean, it was unbelievable. And this was not public, Claire? This was not public or was Not public. public. This was just a senator's briefing. So the second part of this, I want to ask you, and this is the tough one. We saw what Barr did with the Mueller report. We saw how he worked the refs and put out something ahead of the actual Mueller report and how that impacted what Trump said about it and what the country heard about it. Why in the world? First of all, I have to assume Merrick Garland read this piece of this report. I have to assume Merrick Garland knew it was violating DOJ policy. What excuse does Merrick Garland have for allowing someone to violate DOJ policy in such a public way? Why didn't he do anything? So I think the primary sin is with Rob Herr, but I do think a legitimate issue is both the appointment of Rob Herr and then 
not reining in the report. I think both of those are questions that it's hard to see that that those were not political decisions, small p. Rob Herr was not picked because he is the best person to do the case. Rob Herr was picked for a political reason, which was he's a Republican who has been appointed by Donald Trump. And that is just, I understand why Merrick Garland made that choice, but I think it's wrong. It buys into the idea that people cannot act out of principle. Judges act out of principle. Jurors act out of principle. Prosecutors act out of principle. Claire, you and I have been in that position. You never even think about whether they're Democrats or Republicans because they're supposed to just act. It doesn't mean there aren't occasions where people don't and you see it and they should be called out on it. But the idea that this de facto rule that's now exists, which is only Republicans can investigate Democrats, and by the way, only Republicans can investigate Republicans, (laughs) is absurd. I really think it does an injustice and it has Merrick Garland buying into something instead of using this as an educational moment as to why he's doing what he's doing and taking the heat. That's why they pay him the big bucks. I think with Rob Herr's report, that is one where he would have been criticized. And you know what? Again, if you are looking to not be criticized, don't, don't take, take the, the job. job. Exactly. <laughs> Jinx. Listen, I wish we had time to cover all the trials, but frankly, if we start getting into all the trials and all the appellate decisions and all the the action that's going on, you just got to, you know, either you or Mary have to come back and cuss with us soon because um, <laughs> we want to hear Mary cuss. And yeah. everybody, everybody who's listening to this, you're listening to this podcast because you are interested in the political landscape in the United States of America in 2024 and how Team Biden and other Democrats are going to succeed in the election. Please listen to Andrew Weissman and Mary McCord's podcast on prosecuting Donald Trump. It will educate you. It will make you better at feeling comfortable that you're right. And it will make you understand all the ins and outs in ways that they boil it down and make it very simple and easy to understand. And for lawyers, that is a real talent. So listen to Mary and Andrew and learn from them because you'll be better for it. Oh, Claire, thank you so much. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, Jen and I want to rip the Band-Aid off and talk straight about Biden's candidacy and age. Stay tuned. It's a new year, but it's the same old, no law, just vibe Supreme Court. I'm Melissa Murray. I'm Leah Littman. I'm Kate Shaw. And we are the hosts of the Strict Scrutiny podcast on Crooked Media, who also happen to be constitutional law professors in our free time. Join us each week as we unpack what's on the docket for the Supreme Court term and break down the latest headlines while still managing a laugh or two. So whether you're a lawyer, a law student, or just trying to make sense of what these cases mean, Strict Scrutiny has got you covered. New episodes out every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. Time for some bad decisions. Welcome back. When talking about Biden, Trump, general election contests, the age question is not going to go away. It is going to be with us all the way to the first Tuesday in November. But after last week's special counsel report, which we have covered extensively with our friend, people on both sides of the aisle are asking, is Biden the best option? And if Democrats wanted to, is it even possible to replace him with a different candidate? 
So we're going to tackle this head on and we're going to put aside comparing Trump for the moment because, you know, yes, that's always going to be there. And I do think that largely this is going to be a referendum on Trump and he's only three years younger and, you know, whatever. Now we're just going to talk about Biden. We're just going to talk about Biden knowing that it is a binary choice and knowing that no matter what problems you may think Biden have, they are nothing compared to the orange guy at the golf course. So who is this mythical heir apparent? Let's think back to 2020. And what happened in that primary? Remember, there was Kamala Harris, there was Bernie Sanders, there was Cory Booker, Pete Buttigieg, Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, there was Andrew Yang, Bloomberg. People even forget Bloomberg threw his hat in. (laughs) Sorry, that was rude. Biden beat them all. He won that primary. He was what our party wanted as a moderate, normal, competent, strong leader. So, I mean, who is it that's going to step forward and all of a sudden be that? Well, and the other thing for people to remember is, you know, no one has. Look, when the president made the decision to run for re-election, that is the most important factor that happened here. And that does, by the nature, you know, people don't want to take on the incumbent president because if you primary the incumbent president, the history is that person loses, right? If there's a serious primary challenge like Teddy Kennedy and Jimmy Carter and then, you know, 1968 is a different situation, but a messy Democratic convention, late nominee and the Democrats lost. So nobody really wants to do that. So, yes, the most important thing was president decided to run for election. That is his decision. He did it. It's also true that at the time he did it, I think the other people who could have run, Gavin Newsom, Gretchen Whitmer, Josh Shapiro, J.B. Pritzker, Phil Murphy, those are all governors or senators too, Amy Klobuchar, you know, Pete Buttigieg, Kamala Harris, of course, the vice president. At the time Biden decided, which was like about a year ago that he was going to run, he was riding high. He came off of a great State of the Union. Remember, he was like sparring back and forth. He went to Kiev. That was like a massive show of strength. And then we had the really good midterms, right? So the time when these other candidates, the Whitmers, the Newsoms, et cetera, could have launched a challenge was then. And like no one thought I can beat him and beat Trump, right? Nobody thought that. So that's why it didn't happen. And now people are like, is it too late? Yes, it is, friends. It's too late. It is too late. I mean, the viable path that somebody has at this point, let's just talk about blocking and tackling. I mean, here's the thing. Only seven states plus the District of Columbia could still even have someone register to run. I mean, so the vast majority of states, the door is already closed. And at the Democratic Convention, a candidate needs to get around 2,000 delegates to get the nomination out of around 4,000 delegates. Well, Biden has 91. And guess what's going to happen on Super Tuesday? He's going to get 2,000. So, you know, there's no way that somebody else can now decide to take him on if he is determined to be the candidate. And that is the situation. And it's not changing. And it's like, just to play it out, like some people last week were like, well, someone could file in those remaining seven states and say, look, I'm running these seven states. I want to make a showing to show that I can get support and that the president should step aside. And then I'm taking this fight to the convention and have a terrible fight in Chicago. And if you just play this all out, ultimately, it leads to a very weak Democratic nominee. And I also think that at this point, it's like the president's record is so strong. The accomplishments are so strong. You know, he always says, you worry about my age, watch me, watch me do the job. He has done a good job. I do think we need to see him more. We talked about the press conference with Andrew a little bit, and it's like, I'm talking about the Thursday night press conference. If I were in the room. We all know what press conference you're talking about. Thursday, February. It it is the press conference that no one will ever forget, Jen. 
Okay, so putting him out at eight o'clock at night after a long day, a very stressful topic, everything like that. That's a, you know, for whatever reason that happens, sometimes the principal demands that. Until he screwed up the Egypt-Mexico answer, he was good. I mean, you can argue some people are like, he was too feisty and he was fighting with the press. You know, he doesn't always present great, right? He's 81 years old. What he showed was command of the facts. He understood what was in that report. He knew what his defense was. You know, he clearly knew more about it than the reporters. Like other people always talk about how great he is in meetings. Vice President always talked about how great he is in meetings. And, you know, The Daily Show, John Stewart did a whole thing about this. If you're telling us behind the scenes, he is sharp and full of energy and on top of it and really in control and leading, you should film that. <laughs> that would be good to show to people instead of a TikTok. It's like, okay, did anybody film those meetings? And the interaction with the press is kind of the best window we have into, you know, showing how well he spars in real time. And I feel like that is a good thing to see more of. A couple times a month, once a month, something like that doesn't have to be all. But for people to see him in that kind of action. So let's just kind of wrap this up and put a bow on it. The math doesn't work for someone else to run. And this is the thing everybody needs to realize. Trump is, regardless of a binary comparison, regardless of contrasting the crazy of Donald Trump with the normal of Joe Biden, Trump is a uniting force for our party and everyone will unite. I don't care if we're talking about young voters. I don't care if we're talking about voters of color. I don't care if we're talking about old voters, rural voters, urban voters. The majority of the country will unite around the idea, I believe, that Donald Trump should not be given that kind of power again after what we've witnessed that he did with that kind of power the first time around. And, you know, Biden beat Trump before, right? I mean, it's not like he hasn't done it. That's why he's the incumbent. And I will leave it with this. No sitting president has ever in the history of our country been defeated by a primary opponent, not in the modern political era. So I think people need to get over this. They need to realize that he's done a great job. He's got a strong team. He is competent and knows what he's doing. And Donald Trump is a disaster and it's all going to be okay. Yeah. Or as Dennis McDonough, uh, who's currently the secretary of VA for Biden and was Obama's chief of staff, used to tell the cabinet when they were fussing about things that were out of their control time to be for what's going to happen. Right. Right. I mean, exactly. (laughs) Get on board. And by the way, there's a phenomenal, I mean, I work for President Clinton. I work for President Obama. I'm super proud of everything they accomplished. It's nothing compared to what President Biden has accomplished. We should be grateful for all of that. And uh, yeah, get on board. All right. Friends, thanks so much for listening. As always, if you have a question for us, you can send it to How to Win Questions at NBCUNI.com, or you can leave us a voicemail at 646-974-4194, and we might answer it on the pod. And you can now subscribe to MSNBC's How to Win newsletter for weekly insights from the network's cadre of analysts like yours truly. With the drama of the selection season heating up, now's the perfect time to get expert analysis on key races straight to your inbox. Comes out on Tuesday. Visit the link in our show notes to sign up. This show is produced by Vicki Vergolina and Jessica Schrecker. Katherine Anderson and Bob Mallory are audio engineers. Our head of audio production is Bryson Barnes. Aisha Turner is the executive producer for MSNBC Audio. And Rebecca Cutler is the Senior Vice President for Content Strategy at MSNBC. Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts and follow the series.
Get the latest updates on this year's high-stakes election with MSNBC's How to Win 2024 newsletter. When you subscribe, you'll get expert analysis on key races sent straight to your inbox, including articles written by the host of the How to Win podcast, Jennifer Palmieri. Subscribe today at msnbc.com slash win.